If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the success the success Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You're listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Yo, brother. What's going on, mate? I got got a question for you, man. What? How many kids you plan on having? Oh, (laughs) Um, well, I would let, you know, me and Tyra have talked about like five. As of right now, I'm at zero. You know, the Lord hasn't blessed me yet with any kids, you know, out here spending wishing but um in the meantime yeah i'd like a lot and uh you got two right how's that going yeah man which means uh well it, it means i'm already above the uh, one child policy but uh yeah two two kids is good bro two kids is good uh you know kids aren't too far apart in age which you know has there's some good to that there's some bad and when i say bad i just mean you know positive and negatives not you know closer in age probably more rivalrous you know, if they were farther apart, probably a little bit less, but but closer in age, now they're more likely to be friends and and less, you know, if you got five year gap, the older one's gonna be like, Oh, leave me alone, you're a kid. Right. So mm-hmm. as I said, there's good and bad to to being close in age. Uh, but I think, you know, from a having kids perspective, uh, I don't wanna say we're done for sure, but we're definitely playing defense, let's put it that way. <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, no intentions of having, you know, another, another baby, you know, for the, for the listeners that don't know, my wife was adopted. So I think if we do want to have more kids or a bigger family, we're probably more likely to adopt. Oh, whoa. Than, uh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So, I mean, my, my wife's story is crazy, bro. Like she was literally born in a Russian jail and like her. Oh parents, yeah. I remember that. I remember that at the wedding. I grew up best friends with her oldest brother, which is how I know her. But, you know, you think of sovereignty of God with that whole story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, adopted from Russia. Technically, she was the second child from Russia that they adopted when they picked up her older sister, who's mm-hmm. not her biological sister. They saw her and had to come back and get her a year later. Oh, wow. Because um, they just like fell in love with her as a like a four-year-old. Oh, wow. So, praise God. Yeah. No, that, that's big. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm like, I'm not, me and Tyra are not ruling out adoption. We want to be parents. We're just kind of waiting on God's time and how everything comes together. But either way, um, I'm going to be a parent, whether biologically or not. So that's just something that will come to pass in God's time. But in the meantime, just keep grinding, keep grinding, trying to build an empire for the babies. <laughs> All right. So so we're um, going to be talking about uh, the controversial posters that were put up in Vancouver. Um, at like the bus stops, um, and which I mean I don't know for sure, but considering it's a bus stop, that's a government location. Yes, but no, but let's but, add to the controversy. Uh, well, from from what I looked up, it wasn't the government that yeah, was no, responsible. It, it actually it was an ad company who. Um, yeah, actually, who, I have experience in this realm. So when I I used to work for City of Mississauga in Mississauga Transit, and and essentially you you know you kind of farm out your advertising space for the most part, not completely, but for the most part you you sort of farm it out. Say okay, I've got this much space, and you sort of give them a contract at a price, and then they you know up the advertising company sort of has that in their repertoire and they upsell it, you know, let's say 20% more than what you're, you know, you as the property holder or the property owner uh, want to sell it for. So yeah, I I know I threw the government under the bus sort of just being my anti-government self, but yeah, in general, the government probably had no, no decision-making related to this, you know, advertising. Yeah. So the, the posters uh, said things like, uh, well, they're one child focused. So uh, some of the posters said, Oh, What's growth doing for you? Overpopulation, we're all solving it. Another one said traffic congestion starts at conception. So that one kind of rhymed. That was kind of dope with the wordplay. Mm-hmm. And then the other one said, another one said, uh, thank you for shrinking your carbon footprint. Uh, and now the, the one that, you know, we probably see a lot online is one that said, the most loving gift you can give your first child is to not have another one. And then there's like a black, there's like a pretty black baby 
oh my goodness on the, on the fire and i'm just like so you know you see the cute baby and you're just like well why wouldn't you want another one so i don't know i don't know so yeah of course you know everybody was up in arms about it and um it, it brought up the conversation of overpopulation so for the listeners the direction we'll be going in is we're going to uh, talk about of course one planet one child and the organization and then Canada's fertility rate hits all-time low, says Statistics Canada. And then we're going to talk about the Thanosian economics, right? Is the world <laughs> overpopulated? And then get into, um, is the goal of marriage to have children? So, get a little heavy on the question. Yeah, but, So, but, uh, but as far as, as the organization, again, um, the organization is called One Planet, One Child. And their vision is... We envision a world where no one suffers in dire poverty and misery for lack of enough food, water, and other basic needs. We see a world where all species thrive and where lower consumption and population are in balance with Earth's finite resources, which is reasonable. Our mission, we alert and educate that overpopulation is a root cause of resource depletion, species extinction, poverty, and climate change. Our mission is to chart a path for human civilization that, rather than causing greater misery, enables good lives on a healthy planet. We advocate and support a smaller, truly sustainable human population through the dramatic and voluntary reduction in birth rates. Um, how'd that work out for China? <laughs> how did it work out uh, for well, China? Well, I, I, I don't, I don't know if we want to go there just yet. But mm-hmm. That's my my smart aleck comment in in respect to that that statement. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, to me, uh, I think there's an aspect where this is a little bit ignorant to how does that actually occur? What do you right? mean? And that's why I reference China because how did China go do go about a one child policy? Mm-hmm. mass abortions mm-hmm. and and you know potentially even worse than that um and and i say that because you know think about uh china and I, I mean i can uh, we, i guess we can go there now yeah yeah no uh, we can <laughs> the there's there's an npr article i'll read the headline and this is you know um i'll, I'll flush it out without getting into the article because mm-hmm. uh, i'll put the article in the show notes page yeah right? but the headline says it all how China's one-child policy led to forced abortions and 30 million bachelors. So the issue is that in China, the gender of their child became a means of, oh, I don't want this baby. Now, you could say there's cultural aspects. And the reason I bring up culture, I think of like, you know, the fact Chinese culture is much different than ours. There's an honor aspect to it. Obviously, there's the male lineage with last names that play a factor into that. Um, I would say society-wise, that's sort of changing a bit. So, you know, would that be different today? Maybe. But, you know, there's clearly an example where, you know, today they now have 30 million bachelors in their country with essentially an uneven number of men to fit women because of this policy. Now, you know, this company or organization, I'm assuming would sort of say, well, we're against sexism and and so we're going to fight that too. Okay. It doesn't mean you're going to, it's going to work, but that's a different sidebar. Yeah. What, what I was thinking was, you know, a good economist always asks compared to what? And so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the, the China issue. And uh, when I was doing my research, I found this pretty long article, but it was really good. It was a long article uh, from the Washington Post, and I'll just read a blurb from it. And it's summarizing um, not just China, but also India and how the reduction in birth rates have hurt them. And it's and it says this, out of China's population of 1.4 billion, there are nearly 34 million more males than females, the equivalent of almost the entire population of California or Poland, who will never find wives and only rarely have sex. China's official one-child policy in effect from 1979 to 2015 was a huge factor in creating this imbalance as millions of people, of uh, millions of couples were determined that their child should be a son. And then in India, 
a country that has a deeply held preference for sons and male heirs, has an excess of 37 million males, according to its most recent census. The number of newborn female babies compared with males has continued to plummet, even as the country grows more developed and prosperous. The imbalance creates, now check this out, the imbalance creates a surplus of bachelors and exacerbates human trafficking, both for brides and possibly prostitution. Officials attribute this to the advent of sex-selective technology in the last 30 years, uh, which is now banned, but still um, in widespread practice. In the two countries, 50 million excess males are under the age of 20. That's crazy. Yo, that's a lot of dudes not having sex, man. Well, but this is the whole point about the (laughs) trafficking. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like that's... (laughs) Yeah, well, again, unintended I mean, consequences, I, man. I was just gonna say, you know, like exactly, you know, economics coming back to to haunt people, right? You know, it's I've wanted I'm want to say this. It's sort of related, sort of not related. If you ever, as for the audience, for for Darnell too, if you ever hear someone say we need a different system of economics, they have no idea what economics is. What do you mean by that? So, economics is not a system. Economics is tools or ideas that you apply to the systems we have to diagnose and understand. Okay, so, I agree with that. To, so when they say I need a different economic system to me or, or economics, right? So this is where like, I think to say we need a different uh, financial structure or to say we need a different business you know, structure, th- those things make sense. To say we need a different economics system to me the word economics doesn't fit. And and this is where like I get frustrated partly why on the show, I always say like, for me, economics is about allocation of my time because that's actually the most fundamental way of looking at it. And I say that because so many people hear economics and they think of wealth, they think of business, they yes. think of profit. Yes. Yeah. And, and can but, I also add, not can, economics. I, can I also yeah, add, Joel, because um, I always define it as um, the science of, of choices and making choices, human decision. Yeah, and, and I would agree there, and that's. But I just use the the. In my opinion, I would say the simplest version of that, which is how to do how do what do I do with my time, mm-hmm. right? And my resources. Um, well, but the resources come from allocating time to work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, like uh, which is you know a whole another aspect of of that conversation. But you know, this is where I, I wanted to bring it up because all of this is an economics analysis and you know are they applying everything well are they applying economic principles well you know there's the idea of scarcity and you know innovation and so many other things that that economics can speak to not define and the reason i say not define is because as time progresses innovation changes Right, like think of it right now. We're sort of right at the cusp of AI and self-driving cars, and and that innovation is going to drastically change how we do life, assuming it comes to fruition. So, mm. to me, this is such an economics. You brought up <laughs> Thanos's economics, which which we'll get to. But if you don't have good fundamentals in economics, I would argue it's really hard to engage this topic. Because you end up in a moral conversation without addressing the premises that lead to the moral conclusions mm-hmm, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. premises. Yeah, that's no, good. That's good, Joel. Uh, okay, so right now we're going to jump into uh, the statistics, uh, Canada, and and where Canadians stand in, in relation to um, this demography, which is a study of population. All right, so this article comes from... The good people at True North. <laughs> Shout out the last guest, Candace Malcolm, and and, yeah. and what she's uh, created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty solid. So, uh, so it says Canada's fertility rate hits all time low. Statistics Canada says so. Canada's fertility rate hits an all time low, according to the data Statistics Canada. A report released on Tuesday reveals that Canada's fertility rate has declined to one point four seven birth per women down from 3.94 in 1959. Canada's TFR, total fertility rate, has been 
uh, below the replacement rate of 2.1 births per woman since 1971, meaning that the number of babies being born is not enough for the current population to replace itself, claims Statistics Canada. With the onset of COVID-19 pandemic, it is possible that birth rates may have changed. In addition, if immigration levels were to fall, fertility rates would become more important for population growth to be sustained. The report also... So for the, for, just for the listener, yeah. I, I'm assuming that what they're referring to, the COVID-19, is, is the equivalent of the baby boomers. We're going to have the COVID boomers. You know, the idea that like everybody was locked at home, so all these people are going to have kids um, in, in 2021. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm thinking that's what they're referring to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Um, so the report also revealed that in the last 60 years, the average, um, the average age for women to have their first child increased by approximately six years. In 1959, the age of first-time mothers was 23.2 years old, but now by 29.4, women were waiting on average until they were 29.4 years old to have their firstborn. This trend, common in other countries, including the United States, coincides with increased participation for women aged 25 to 54 years old in the workforce and a rise in the university-educated woman, claims Statistics Canada. Yeah, I, you know, I think there's a, a bigger, or I feel like there's a huge issue that they're sort of ignoring with that too. It's the number of people going to university, right? Like, yes, there's more women in university, but if a guy is in university and, and the wife wasn't, would they still not mean, if more people were going to school till they were 23, 24, wouldn't you think that they would wait longer? Like, even if it was just the men, I, I just sort of propose that to say like, you know, Statistics Canada, of course, is going to like prop up women as the, you know, the only factor here. But my point is more so family planning. If if both people are going to school more, if one of them is going to school, just people going to, you know, think about it. The number of people going to university has drastically increased. We can get into why, but that's a different podcast or a different episode. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just thought it was funny that they didn't speak to the number of university educated people. Like, I think the rise in women in the workforce is the, is the correct point, but I think it would be more appropriate to speak to both the increased number of men and women in university. Yeah. No, no, no. I hear what you're saying, but I, I guess, you know, the, the assumption being that um, women have the final say and, and whether they have, have children or not. But of course, those factors of, you know, post-secondary do delay the process where women want to, you know, finish school and, and, and get into their field before they have children. So, um, yeah, I mean, those things are consistent. We know people, most of us um, live our lives that way. So I seem that's pretty consistent. But um, well, let me ask you, do you think there's cause for alarm for um, for the Canadian population? Do you do you think? Uh, I think, you know, the, the, the replenishment rate, I, I actually think cause for alarm is, um, I think the, the rate itself is a flag for something else. So arguably... I would say it's a more materialistic world we live in today. And that's a part of the cause, right? The more kids you have, the less things you can have. Mm -hmm. Good point. Um, that's a very good point, Joel. You know, so I, I think there's so many, you know, factors at play. Because um, the other side of this is like, let's compare it to 200 years ago. You know, the fertility rates would have been probably five times. and And the biggest reason being... You know your your family was your 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 workforce um, to some extent, right? They they toiled your property, your soil, and and you know your farm. Um, but the other side of it was you expected some of your children not to make it to adulthood, right? Mm -hmm. That is you know that is an abnormality today, where it wasn't in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I you know down from four children in 1959, yeah, I, obviously more women in the workforce, women going. You know, think about in today's world, what that a lot of times means is women going back to the workforce after they have kids would prevent having more kids later in life because they're like, well, do I really want to stop working again? Yeah. Right. Um, if you want to have kids, you're going to have it, get it over with and go back to work. So I, I think, I don't think that's cause for an alarm, 
I don't see any inherent problem with, you know, women being more involved in the workforce. But I think as a society, I think the responsibilities of parents and I'll, and more so I'll speak to education. I think we have taken some of those responsibilities for granted because, you know, government society sort of takes care of it for us. And so some of these decisions lack intentionality and and we're product of the circumstances. You know, it's like think about now. Government's talking about more, you know, more childcare, more, you know, especially after the trying to get the work people back to work after the pandemic. You know, we got to support people more more childcare. Well, I would argue it that's continuing down the trajectory because the earlier I have access to childcare, the less likely I'm going to go, you know, have another child because I'm already in the workforce again. You know, so I, I, you know, multiple factors here, but being less than 2.1, my position is in the whole world, that's not sustainable at some point, right? Whatever, let's say we find the optimal level of population for the world. At some point, you need to go back to being replenishing yourself. Obviously, one planet, one child is arguing that we are already beyond that position in the population, uh, which I think is hot garbage, and I'll, we'll get to that. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know. I, what about you? Like, do you think the you know it's cause for an alarm? I think it's cause for us to have a conversation about it that it's as low as it is. Uh, well, you know, yeah, when I was looking at, when I was kind of researching, I was like, Hey, you know what, let me, let me see what's going on with this thing. And personally, I don't, I don't think there's cause for alarm, uh, because like the great rapper or probably not a rapper, um, but the great King depends who you're, who you're quoting from, whether it's Nas or King Solomon, but no idea is original, (laughs) right? There's, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Mm. So the, this idea of overpopulation isn't something new. So, like we, yeah, we the look- doomsdayers were telling us we were going to run out of oil. We've been mm-hmm. running out of food for the last seventy years, right? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, so then you have like the economist Thomas Robert Malth- Malthus, uh, the Malthusian um, demography um, school of thought, where he was just saying, okay, the population will exceed the amount of food that we have and that was that was an idea from from the 18th century um that people were were scared yeah, so w- wikipedia words it this way malthusianism is the idea that population growth is potentially exponential while the growth of the food supply and other resources is linear mm-hmm. um and you know what and also then the follow-up to that school of thought was paul ehrlich and Paul Ehrlich, um, he is um, he wrote the book The Population Bomb. It was a best-selling book back in the '60s, and he is a professor from the University of Stanford. And yeah, he 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 was making that that same prediction, but kind of in an apocalyptic way, like saying, "Okay, look, um, the world's going to end in X amount of years, or whatever the case may be." Uh, he said in like 1980. To 1989, 65 million Americans will die, and they and he called it the Great Die Off. Now, of course, um, that that didn't happen, um, and now we see from that time he was making that prediction till now. The population has grown, um, has added another four billion to the population. Right now, the the current world population is 7.6 billion people in the world. Now, here's a statistic. Um, from treehugger.com that <laughs> that um I have them too yeah that that, that will add some <laughs> statistics that that'll kind of add a framework for people who are hearing the numbers so they were saying in 2011 the world population was 6.9 billion people <laughs> and he said that they said that that population can fit in the state of Texas at the population density of New York City now I haven't been to Texas, but I can see it on the map. It looks pretty big, but I do live in Canada and I've traveled to BC. I've taken the train. I've seen our landmass. When you leave the GTA, when you leave the six, yo, Canada is a huge country with a lot of land. So just, just from, from me flying and, and taking the train in my country, 
I, I'm sure you have, Joel, and you see how expansive um, our landmass is. That's impossible. That's impossible for um, all those raw materials and that land in that space for um, not to have enough room for everybody in this immediate country to have their own lot of land and being able to develop it. Yeah. And I mean, to, to contextualize it for our American listeners, you know, you got to recognize that I think it's like 90% or 95% of our, our population lives within a hundred kilometers of, of the U S border. So, so take our 30 million people, you know, we, we basically encompass a state of the U S and we live in, I, I, in terms of kilometers, you know, I, I don't even know what the square, you know, I, I don't even want to guess, but I think we are, what is it? Canada is the second biggest country or maybe we're, I don't know anymore. I think maybe uh, Russia is the, is the contender. Um, when it was USSR, I know they were bigger. We might've moved ahead. I don't remember now. Meaningless stats you learned in high school. Um, anyways. Well, you're using it for six cents support, so they must've been well, good for but, something, but, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. The point is <laughs> that- you know, we have a, a vast amount of land now, arguably current temperatures, current, uh, let's say technology limitations, a lot of it's inha- inhabitable. But as we can, if we continue to innovate the way we innovate, arguably it will, won't be inhabitable mm-hmm. unless the government continues to go down this uh, green energy problem. Yeah. That's a, well, a different episode. Um, I, I wanted to, um, so, uh, sorry, for the listener, mm-hmm. I think I want to point out the link we're using for that New York density is treehugger.com. So, like, if anyone's going to debunk it and say that that was wrong, that would have been, they're, they're acknowledging the truth. Now, obviously, that's the population density that doesn't include the amount of land needed to produce food. That's just living space and density of living. Um, right. So, there is a limitation in that analogy. But it is, it, I think it is really uh, telling to demonstrate there's a lot of world out there and mm-hmm. how, you know, how we efficiently and, and utilize the land has a lot of room yes. for, for further uh, innovation as well as, um, let's just say, more efficient use. Yes, I, I, I agree. I, and, and I think part of the problem is that, you know, people are looking at this as a zero sum, that a human mouth another life being born is just another mouth to feed and they're not thinking about it um, in a deeper aspect like like a human being isn't just a mouth to feed but it's a mind that creates and then focuses on their comparative advantage focuses on their skill set if a, if a human being is born and they develop um, they can add something to an economy they can take the raw materials and turn them into resources. So yes, we have all of these raw materials. They're not resources yet until a person comes along and says, hey, you know what? I'm going to take this tree and I'm going to turn it into a pencil, into a paper, into a boat. Um, I'm, we're going to take this oil and we're going to use it to um, power engines. So we can't just look at people as another mouth to feed as, you know, and, and like you said, you made a good point. Like, yeah, it's very selfish and people are just saying, okay, well, a baby is just another cute mouth to feed. Well, no, it's a potential person that's going to add to your wealth and to the wealth and the well-being of other people if you know you raise them right into their full potential. Well, and and I would say, let's look at an individual person. And and for the most part, the vast majority of the people on this planet are, would be considered a net contributor. Meaning over their lifetime, they actually produce more than they consume. <laughs> and the only way that one more mo- mouth is automatically bad is if they're going to consume more than they produce. And and I think um, in terms of produce, the best way to look at it is exactly what you said, converting raw materials into consumable goods. Or I've reworded what you said, but they're mm-hmm. converting raw materials into productive assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because the vast majority of people on this planet fall into that category to default one more mouth is a bad thing i think again that's why i said you have to challenge these people uh uh, one planet one child on their premises right their premise is the world is already overpopulated okay based on what 
Like that's a <laughs> that's your idea, mm-hmm. but what are the criteria that you're using to make that claim? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that- right. Because there's poor people in the world. Because there's uh, you know that there's people suffering. Okay, unfortunately, until. Jesus comes back and sin is gone. That's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like there's death and destruction. There's bad things that happen in this world. Mm-hmm. The question is, how do we minimize it? Mm-hmm. But so many of these positions sort of present it like, well, our goal is zero, even though it's unattainable. So we're going to tell you your scenario is bad because it's not zero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In terms of zero being bad things, yeah, no, 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 it's a good point. And so, and so here's the here's the kicker of all of this. Do you know what Elon's Musk position is on this? No. The biggest problem the world will face is population collapse. Meaning, so rather than overpopulation, and we're going to have exponential growth in population. So, so the vast majority, as far as I've seen. I would argue that the the position that this one planet, one child holds that we are already overpopulated, I think is slightly abnormality. I think the normal perspective is along the Malthusian or Neo-Malthusian, which is um, Ehrlich that you were reading about. Yeah, Paul um, he's, he's considered a, Paul Ehrlich is considered a Neo-Malthusian. <laughs> Their position is still that we will achieve exponential growth and then be overpopulated. Not that we are already overpopulated. So Elon is responding to the people saying we are facing uh, exponential growth and overpopulation in the future. And his response is, no, I think the greatest risk or the greatest problem the world will face is not that our population will exponentially grow, but that it will start to decline. And people would say, well, why is that a bad thing? It comes down to... um, and I mean, we can get into, you know, we're sort of getting into it now, but there's there's a couple articles on fee.org that sort of reference Thanos and Endgame. Thanosian the, economics? Yes, Thanosian economics. <laughs> because the, they, that's really Malthusian. Malthusian. It, it, it's, it, it's Malthusian or Neo-Malthusian perspective. In general, the prosperity that we experience is due to division of labor. So arguably, more people means more division of labor, not less. And sorry, sorry, more sorry, Joel, sorry, sorry, Joel, what do you mean by division of labor? The best example is when there's a problem with my toilet, I get to call the plumber and not do it myself. Okay, that's what you mean. Okay, good. That's helpful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? So like, the, I, I ha- one, I can like, so again, this is why I said, um, compare this to 200 years ago, sort of with birth rate. Okay, let's compare 200 years ago. 95, I think it's 200 years ago is the right benchmark. 95% of the population lived at a substantive level, meaning they had to work that day to provide for themselves. Division of labor is what allows us in the world we live in today that technically when I wake up in the morning, I don't have to go work so that I feed my family today. I've, I already have accumulated some wealth that my groceries are paid for until I get my next paycheck. Right. And and so I think there's such a lack of perspective. And I, I it's not just in this conversation. I've sort of been saying this a number of times in different conversations to people. I think we lack the perspective of how how different the world is today because of the prosperity we experience and why we experience that prosperity. Mm-hmm. Um I, I normally would have said capital accumulation um, because capital is what makes my labor more productive. But it's division, it's striving towards division of labor. It's like, you know, the guy at Walmart driving, or not Walmart, the Amazon warehouse driving around the forklift truck to pack the boxes to ship stuff to me is division of labor. He is doing one task on the massive process to get me my new potato slicer. <laughs> right? And as opposed to, I go to one guy and say, hey, I'd like to be able to slice potatoes into French fries. Can you make this for me? And uh, I show up a week later at the uh, the guy who makes swords. What are they called? Um, <laughs> um, um, a, um, uh, um, uh, Ironsmith? No. Uh, 
Is it Iron Smith? Smith? No, yeah. It's not um, it's something. Yeah. Anyways, the listener. All, no yeah. The point is, a hundred years ago, you go to that one guy, tell him what you want, and you know, a hundred, whatever, hundred days later, he's finished carving this product for you. There's no division of labor. There's it's really like two people, right? You have a special skill. Okay, I go to you, and I come back to you, as opposed to think you know it's really I'm, I'm referencing eye pencil. Um, in in that the number of people involved, iPencil is a book blacksmith. Read blacksmith. Yes, thank you. Go to the blacksmith and say, "Hey, make this thing out of stainless steel for me." And he shapes every single piece um, only out of the materials he has in the local region. Whereas now, you look, a pencil is made from products all across the world, and no one person could actually make a pencil. In the way that we make pencils today, you've got a rubber eraser, you got that metal little cap, you've got different kinds of wood, you got the lead, which is actually a number of products. And so, I mean, I'll put it in the show notes page. I pencil, you can get it as an audiobook, a number of things. I've probably mentioned it on the show before. It's probably been in the show notes before. Mm-hmm. Basically for free through Mises Institute. Um, so, again, I'll put it in the show notes page. Check it out. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that stuck out to me from the article. Well, there's an article from Acton, the Acton Institute. It's um, it's a economic Christian think tank. You guys should check them out. And this is uh, from Jordan J. Baller, B-A-L-L-O-R, not B-A-L-L-E-R, <laughs> PhD. Mm-hmm. And so, and so he's he he has this quote, and he says this in an article referring to Thanos. Um, his dogmatic adherence to the Neo-Malthusian creed of limitation and extinction requires him to make a sacrifice first of his own child and then of half of the entire cosmos. Um, For those of you guys who've seen um, Avengers Endgame and Infinity War, his daughter, um, Gamora, he sacrifices her to to achieve this purpose. And, And I would just say this to the listener, be aware of needless sacrifices because that's, that's, that's sleeping on the blessings of God. Whether it's being able to enjoy a hamburger, or or even um, enjoy children, and and many of them, and you can have children and enjoy them and not feel guilty. You can eat a, a Five Guys burger uh, and not feel guilty. Yeah, and and uh, I mean the, you know, for me the 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 simple sort of Thanos line. So this is the line he said. It's simple calculus. It's a simple calculus. This universe is finite. Its resources are finite. If left, if life is left unchecked, mm-hmm. life will cease to exist. Mm-hmm. It needs correction. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the that's the Malthusian yes. perspective. And then, and then, and then um, he's and then he says um, he's like I'm the only one who could do anything about it. He's like the problem is nobody does anything about it. He says well. I am the solution because I'm the only one who could do something about it. So I think I, I, this, this is why I love these deep economic principles that are that are found in these movies. And we're not just watching it to watch the explosions or watch people float through the air. But but this is a real economic concept that you have to wrestle with when you're watching a movie. Like you're like, yeah, I'm cheering for Thanos because I'm Malthusian in my economics. But then you're like, oh, wait a minute. But they killed Black Panther to do it. Like. Like they killed T'Challa to do it. Was this was this really necessary? Is this really a better world without Black Panther? Black people were so vexed afterwards. They're like, "Yo, why couldn't you just take Captain America?" You. Know? <laughs> so you know, it's one of those things that yeah, be careful of needless sacrifices. And with that said, marriage, and you know the point of marriage and couples, because I know couples who are married, and you know. Um, they don't want to have kids. And I would argue the point of marriage is to have kids. What, what would you say, Joel? Um, I mean, there's the, let's call it the legacy institution of marriage and the, which I would, I'm sort of parking under, let's say government. Uh, and then there's the, you know, biblical view of the purpose of marriage. In both of those senses, I agree with you. In today's culture, that is not the purpose of marriage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In today's culture, the, pur- the purpose of marriage is a symbol of love. Um, and there's, there's a, I'll put it in the show notes page. There's an, uh, a, again, shout out True North and, and uh, Candace Malcolm. She did an interview with Barbara Kay. It was um, May 26th of this year. And there was a few points where she, so she would have been, I think she's a classical liberal. 
um, a Jewish classical oh, liberal. Oh, like me. Okay. Well, not Jewish. Okay. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so she, back in the gay marriage era, she was arguing for civil unions as opposed to redefining marriage. And and she, in this conversation, she's she's like, I don't, I don't make this argument anymore publicly because there's no point. But she brought up, let's say the rationale behind uh, what, why her position was for civil unions. And, and it's really what we're sort of talking, you know, she was saying the marriage was an institution and from a government perspective or, or more secular perspective, it was about pr- protecting women, protecting the children, sort of um, creating inheritance rights to some extent, forcing a man to, to be tied to, to woman because of, you know, let's say the legacy of, you know, women being unable to work with, you know, the way the world was and the cultural norms and also protecting the children. And so it, she was making, you know, those arguments and that also, yeah, it was just interesting to see her sort of presenting that. Cause I think from, for many Christians, uh, I, I hope many of us just see marriage as a default for, for family and for, for the, the commitment about raising children as the primary I don't want to say primary purpose because there's other aspects of the purpose, but but one of the primary positive fruits is the the necessity of a, a family grow, you know, for the development of children. What about you? Where does family marriage? Yeah, um, so okay, so let me just go to the scripture. So if you go to Genesis chapter one, right? So this this is my answer to. Christians who say, well, we can be married and not have kids. And I, and then of course, you know, like I said earlier in the show, um, I don't have kids, but I still plan to have kids, right? Well, even, um, even if it's through adoption. And so, so check this out. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, but don't lose your grip. All right. Turn to the first page in the Bible, Genesis chapter one, and we're going to go to verse 27 and to 28. And it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And and this is verse 28. And God blessed them. So here you have Adam and Eve being created and then God blessed them. And then God said to them, he gave them a command. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So here he creates man and woman in his own image and gives them a command to be fruitful and multiply. How do those two people multiply if there's only two of them? Well, they multiply by having children, but that's not the kicker. The next kicker is is, 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 is the next section, what it says in verse 28, the other half. And it says this, Joel. And fill the earth. Da, 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 da. Bo, 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 bo. Shut up, Honda. <laughs> Watch, watch, watch. So, uh, I'm turned to Bishop Eddie Long. Watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. Uh, and it says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And subdue it. See that right there? Now, and now if, if you, if you want to exegete and see the verse before it, it says, uh, let us make man in, in our own image and then make him in our likeness. And he gives them the command to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth. So God has given a command for men and women to dominate the sky, dominate the seas and dominate the earth. That means have hamburgers, fly on private jets and fly on and, 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 and sail on, on beautiful yachts. And also now, to make kids and fill the earth. Now, I would add, I want to, I want to add a word to what you've said, mm-hmm. and that word is also responsibility. And I would so add, not, and I would add, not, 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 not that you're wrong, and I agree with you. I'm just gonna add another term: human agency. So you're saying responsibility, but another term people use is, is um, human agency. But go ahead, sorry. So, it, and what I mean is like, so dominate with responsibility. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so when you say fly in a private jet, right. So for the, you know, people worried about CO2, yeah, there, there's a, 
there's a conversation to say well i, can I don't yeah dominate I mean, the earth in a way that that you know uh doesn't steward the resources yeah, given to us yeah yeah so okay yes I, I don't mean because not everybody has a private jet but you get what i'm saying like you know yeah yeah right, right? no but i just yeah because people will I catch feelings that i said to fly yeah but but but, I, but the key point but the key point here is verse 28 fill the earth therefore no christian who believes in jesus christ can walk around the earth and say oh well you know i'm worried about overpopulation well the bible doesn't say to worry about overpopulation the bible says to overpopulate to populate well, there because you can't to populate because you can't overpopulate it right so yeah, so and, for the christian for, my point is this just for the christian yo you can't walk around here anymore say unless unless you can show me where i'm where i miss exegeted the the passage and eisegeted it unless you can show me there's another passage that says yo we're overpopulating and we need to chill but this verse right here tells you look go home and have sex and have a lot of sex and try to have kids done now i i would also say uh, I, i'm I, my opinion is I don't know that the Bible is necessarily telling you, you everybody should try to have 10 kids or five kids, right? Does, does multiply mean two people creating one, creating two, or uh, by multiply, I have to create more than the two? I, I would sort of leave it to the biblical scholar to let me tell, let me know what the, the particular meaning of the word multiply there is in the sense of... Now, the reason I say that is that it may come a point in time where it's it, you know you're still fulfilling that mandate by only having two children whereas when when it was given two children sort of wouldn't really achieve that for for a number of reasons no no well yes 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 well 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 they they don't, right but part of my point isn't how many children but to try to have children and not to be afraid of overpopulation yes yes that's all and and so the the economic principle that I would add to that is that scarcity breeds innovation. <laughs> so um, as the you know it's it's not like entrepreneurs are just going to go oh well we're all going to die because there's no food. They're going to be like hey I have an opportunity to make a profit. <laughs> so let me try something, right? Maybe that's all of these concrete jungles start putting you know. Uh, uh, farms on the roof of their buildings. Mm -hmm. So, so what's your two cents, Joel? I, I think you know what I had said at the very beginning is is really my two cents on this. That there are fundamental principles and ideas that underline the 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 people who want to put forth overpopulation, and the conversation is not with their um, or the conversation that you, if you're going to challenge them, shouldn't be with the proposed solutions. It should be to challenge them on their premises, to challenge them on the concept of overpopulation. Because and and they're going to probably make really bad economic arguments. Um, so to some extent, listen to this episode. Be prepared. Um, if if you've ever heard a really good argument or an argument that you can't um you know engage with, send us a message. Six sense report at gmail.com, Facebook, Twitter, six sense report. I, I, hopefully I can answer it or we can answer it. Um, but if not, I, I want to know it so I can learn and dig in and, and figure out if someone else has already answered that question. Um, but in general, you know, my two cents is that the there are basically false premises and, and unvalidated premises that underlie this uh, overpopulation myth. Um, and you know, I think Elon Musk is a is a pretty respectable counter argument uh, to just say that he's concerned with population collapse as opposed to to overpopulation. Mm -hmm. um, and and then um, that that doesn't even get into where I think the problems are circa China's one child policy of actually trying to achieve what these people are promoting. That's you know we sort of barely touch that, um, but there's I would argue theological and ethical issues in there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, what about you what's your what's your two cents okay so for me what i want the six centers to know is that you know be careful not to be enslaved by the devil's tool of the fear of death right so the media uses this uh in the forms of uh like COVID 19 white police officers uh climate change and in this case overpopulation 
so this breeds a sense of hopelessness and indoctrination indoctrination meaning um we're only listening we're only taking in information that we want to take in we're not taking in opposing information or other um schools of thought that's what indoctrination means so this type of fear of death makes us indoctrinated not to listen to other schools of thought um and it makes us more reliant on the media to um be our quote-unquote savior so those in christ who have been freed from this slavery the fear of death um we're now free to hope and we're free to think so for those who say that you know again back to the whole marriage thing um those who who don't think as a married couple you should be having kids or a lot of kids um to that i would say um we see that the universal function uh, goal of marriage is not love nor is it to live your best life or you know the idea love is love that's not the point of marriage the point of marriage is procreation with the prefix pro meaning for and then creation so we see this in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 and 28 and then later in the New Testament we see that the exclusive apocalyptic goal um, that is to display the love between Christ and the church Ephesians chapter 5 verse 32 and that is God's people dwelling with the bridegroom Jesus Christ in the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no overpopulation or lack of resources no more scarcity and that's the bottom line because the bible said so because the bible said so because <laughs> Jesus said so no no uh, cue, cue, cue the shattering glass <laughs> yeah john 316 john 316 <laughs> john 316 says i just schooled your way <laughs> all right so to the six centers out there uh what do you guys think um what do you guys think about malthusian economics and overpopulation you know hey maybe we're wrong um let us know if you're if you're into uh thanosian economics uh, let's talk about it. Uh, you could contact us at sixcentsreport at gmail.com. Um, you could find us on Facebook, on our Facebook group, uh, Six Sense Report. And we're on Twitter at Six Sense Report uh, on Twitter. If you're trying to contact me, you can get at me, Darnell or Darnell Samuels on Facebook. And then Twitter and Instagram, I am do good at Darnell. That's D O G U D D A underscore Darnell. And uh, I'm T Joel N39 everywhere. And I would just say too, uh, you know, send us, send us questions in general. Uh, maybe it'll give us a show show idea. We've definitely uh, used a couple listener questions or, or articles for for shows before. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, because uh, especially with COVID and everything that's going on, you know, potential second wave lockdowns. Um, yeah, I think uh, the listeners might have a few questions for us at this point. Yeah. Um, so so. And I want to give a shout out to uh, Tanisha Williams for giving us the show's suggestion for uh, gentrifying gentrifiers and nimbies. So I, I didn't get to thank her for um, for that. She hit me up and was like, "Yeah, I'm you guys need to do this." So, so we do listen um, when you guys want us to cover something. So thank you, um, Tanisha. Shout out to Brad. What up? All right. So six months may change. But you heard me. Does that make sense? I hear.